Um, such a familiar story is the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, if you did, could be pulled off of the shelf and looked at. And uh, the problem is, with such familiar stories, is that oftentimes we're kind of stuck in a childlike, not a bad thing always, understanding of the story. And so the story uh, has come down to us, maybe from our uh, childish understanding, as meaning that we're to help anyone we find in need. And and that is indeed a a, a good uh, interpretation of the story, but it's not the deeper understanding of the story that maybe Jesus is trying to convey uh, to the people around, particularly the expert in the Jewish law. So, you know, in our day, the lexicon, the dictionary, actually says that a Samaritan is a charitable or a helpful person. We have good Samaritan hospitals. We have Samaritan's Purse. In England, we have something called The Samaritans. It's an organization that's a helpline for people contemplating suicide. So it's come into our common parlance. We need to kind of step back again into the story and into the context of the story to really see the layers of what Jesus is trying to convey in this parable. So we have to go back to the question that's asked. There's an expert in Jewish law who has come up and he's asking him a question. He addresses him, you note, as teacher, but his intention is not to be taught something by this teacher. His intention is indeed to catch Jesus out in something, to make him slip up, to maybe even catch him in a heretical statement. So he does not have a teachable spirit, even though he addresses Jesus as teacher. And his question is, what should I do to inherit the life of the age to come? Well, right there and there, there's a, there's a tautology that you'll see. Um, we can't do anything normally for an inheritance. An inheritance is just something that is given, that is received as a gift because um, somebody has decided to give us an inheritance. So you really don't earn an inheritance. There's nothing you can do to inherit something. So the question itself is a little bit skewed. But as Jesus is wont to do, he turns the question back to this expert in Jewish law. And he says, um, you're a lawyer. You interpret the law. What is written in the law? And how do you? interpret it and so the uh, this uh, Jewish expert then responds with what we call the summary of the law it's something that Jesus has talked about um, elsewhere in the gospels and it's pulled from a passage in Deuteronomy and another passage in Leviticus and they're combined together And so he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all self. So he's kind of answered his own question a little bit. Jesus says, well said, attaboy, good job. Now do that and you will live. Now, in actual fact, Jesus is not saying that we can work our way to righteousness, to life in the age to come. 
doing the summary of the law is in fact an impossibility without the Holy Spirit living within us and the Holy Spirit only comes because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was crucified, dead, buried, rose and ascended to the Father and sent the Spirit because none of this can we actually do by following the law, the externals of the law. This is an internal work of the Holy Spirit within us. And Jesus knows this, of course, that this is an impossibility. But um, because um, Jesus has responded, well done, you've done a good job, that's, you know, you've answered well, um, he wants to one-up him again. And so he comes back with the question, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, his interpretation is going to be within Israel, within the people of Israel, within his small community, and quite possibly his neighbor is even constrained and defined down by somebody who actually agrees with his own theological, his way of thinking theologically, perhaps his own tribe, but certainly to the greatest extent, just the the people of Israel and possibly the stranger that has been brought into their midst, but certainly not the Gentiles. So he's asking the question again to try and trip up Jesus. But his question is really this, how far should love reach? What are the limits to my love? How far can I go past which I really don't need to? And it's in response to that question, how, who is the neighbor that I need to love? Can I put a boundary on that, what that looks like? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And we really need to understand the Middle Eastern context of that. Even today, in this day and age, if you're traveling from Galilee in the north up to Jerusalem, because remember, Jerusalem is in a hill, so up doesn't mean north. Up means just going up to the city of Jerusalem, east or west, You're always going up or down from Jerusalem. But if you're traveling from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south, back in that day, they would not, Jewish people from Galilee would not travel through Samaria, which was the direct route. Instead, they would go over, they would come down the Jordan Valley to Jericho, cross over and go up to Jerusalem. Because... There was such vicious hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews that they did not feel safe going there because each of them claimed that they were the inheritors of the promise God had made to Abraham. They both claimed that they owned and were inheritors of the land. They both claimed that their way of doing the rituals, their purity laws, their way of interpreting scripture was the correct way. And they each worshipped on different mountains. And even today, 
If people in the Galilee are coming down, are going up to Jerusalem, they're not going to go that route either because it will take them through the West Bank, which is dangerous for them. And that animosity and violent hatred continues to this day between the Palestinians and the Jews. It's an ongoing situation. So it would have been known that the way to go would be via Jericho to Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't always that safe either because robbers would uh, stay in those parts knowing that they could uh, find uh, victims on the way to rob and to leave half dead. The fact that this man has been robbed and left half dead probably has happened many times in Jesus' day alone. And so the story is about um, Levites and priests who come by and pass by on the other side because they're temple attendants. And they're evidently going up to Jerusalem to fulfill some kind of a job that they have up there in the temple. Now, if he's dead, it's a corpse, and that makes them ritually unclean, and that makes it impossible for them to do whatever they're supposed to be doing in the temple. So they don't even bother to see whether or not he's dead or alive. Their own purity is more important than the health of this man. Their own getting on and doing their life and doing their job is so much more important than actually fulfilling the law of love, which is God's law of love for all people. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to reveal in this parable, that God's love extends to the whole world. In other words, if you ask the question, who's my neighbor, it's the wrong question to begin with. Because God loves all whom he has created. And so at the end of the story, at the beginning of the story, remember the question is, who is my neighbor? Jesus reverses that at the end of the story and asks the question, who was the neighbor? who turned out to be the neighbor to the left-for-dead Jew lying on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. So there's a a change in there. Who fulfilled the law of love? Well, it was the most hated, the most reviled, the most excluded, the most derided, the outsider, the outcast, the racially impure, and the religiously deviant. And so Jesus' question, there's only one answer. And the lawyer finds himself having to give that answer. It was the one who showed mercy. The one who he would have hated as a Jew was indeed the one who was the neighbor and who showed mercy. And Jesus' challenge to the Jewish expert and to us is go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. Go and reveal God's love to the most hated, the most reviled, the most derided, the most feared, to the outsider, the outcast, to the racially and religiously different, and do it in God's name. Because to put up barriers on whatever grounds means we cannot be followers of the God who loves 
all people, whose grace extends wide on the hard wood of the cross. We're not permitted our purity boundaries, nor our callous indifferences. To be a good Samaritan is not just to care for those in need who we feel comfortable in helping. It's not just to be a charitable person. It's to be somebody who is not content with indifference, not content to distance ourselves from violence and hatred as being something that happens somewhere else and doesn't affect us. And especially this week, when black men have been killed for being black and white police officers have been killed for being white police officers, we must ask ourselves, what are we doing to live out God's law of love in our church, in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, in our communities? But to even make that distinction, which I just did, that is all these distinctions that are all over social media, is to divide God's children rather than unite us. You see, we are all made in God's image. Every single one of us is made in God's image. We are all children of the Most High King, His beloved, every single one. And he sees no difference in that. And so neither can we. To use those determining factors, to use that kind of language, is to separate us instead of unite us. Where are we building bridges instead of fences? The God who created, created each and every one of us And we are his image bearers. Like a pebble thrown into a lake, the the ripples go out further and further and further. So is our love to be for all of humanity, not just the ones we feel comfortable being around, to all humanity. That's what it is to follow the God of love. That's what it is to follow the one who climbed onto the cross because he loved everyone and continues to love all of God's creation. And that's because love is not external to us. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and resides within us whose love wells up within us so that it should be overflowing into that lake so that the ripples go out and other people say, see how they love. And that love creates more love. And more love creates more love. And eventually what seems overwhelming out there becomes what we can do here because it ripples outwards. But it takes discipline because it's a new language for us. It's not a normal, fleshly, fallen language. 
but it is a language that's available to us. Any of you who have tried to learn a foreign language know that it just takes reciting and doing over and over and over again until it just becomes a little bit easier and a little bit easier. There's a story about a a woman who had gone to live abroad with her husband to Spain and uh, uh, she was beginning to learn the language but hadn't quite grasped it and she put down her shopping list and she put it down in both the uh, Spanish and, and, and in English, and she went to the butchers and she said, uh, you know, en dos lenguas, en dos lenguas. And the butcher, hearing that, packaged up two ox tongues for her. <laughs> the word's idioma. But so it just takes practice. But the more we practice, the more God's love fills us and overflows from us into this one body and out into the communities that are so desperate for mercy, peace, and love. So will you pray with me? This is the prayer for the whole human family found in our Book of Common Prayer. O oh God, You made us in your image and redeemed us through Jesus, your son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth that in your good time, All nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.